god. <laughs> okay, so we are going to be talking about games of 2017 as I've been planning for literal months. <laughs> yeah. God damn. Yeah. So uh, whoever wants to go first, go ahead. Pick a game that you played that year and just talk about it and see if we all played it. Be just so, go with it. Oh, yeah. So I didn't really I didn't play it that year, but I played I played the updated version Persona Five. Uh, uh, I played Persona Five Royal. Mm-hmm. Uh, goddamn! Like I, it was it was phenomenal. It is phenomenal. Um, just yeah, if you're something... talking about the updated version, just try to like talk about the base game instead of like the yeah, post game of, of Royal. We can talk about Royal. Yeah. We can talk about 2020 because Royal is a 2020 game. Yeah, um, like just ignore the Kasumi stuff and semester yeah. free. Yeah, but yeah, still phenomenal. It was, you know, it was so phenomenal. Like, I mean, I love the royal stuff. I'm not going to get into it, but uh, even just the base Persona Five, it's just it's phenomenal. There's a lot of like great. The, it was one of the uh, games that taught me that games could really be something, and so I I used to. Like I had played mostly like Call of Duty games and like old Wii games, like not stuff with like a big story. The only the exception to that being Final Fantasy X, but I never finished it. Something that I am on and still finishing. But it was like the it was like the sort of the turning point for me where I figured like, oh my god, these games can be something really special, not just because they're fun, but because they're because they're meaningful. Yeah. I think Persona 5 is personally... So, I played Persona 4 Golden as a kid. And, and I know, I, I've been raised poorly. I'm just joking. I'm fine. Anyway, I played Persona 4 Golden as a kid. And I think... That, and I still stand by this. Persona 4 has the best cast of characters in the Persona oh, series. Oh, easily. Yes. E- easily, yeah. But uh, we'll talk about that in 2020 since Persona 4 Golden released on PC. But uh, Persona 5 is a very close second, and I have played Persona 3. Persona 3, good casting overall, but I prefer Persona 5 because uh, this is kind of a meme in my friend group, Pretty Boy Yosuke. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is a pretty boy. What can I say? Like Also, uh, I, I, I know I'm going to kill the Persona 5 fan base, but uh, Makoto kind of overrated. <laughs> She, I mean, to an extent, I think so, but I mean, the, most of them, I was about to say all of them, and then I remembered Oya exists, uh, but like most of them are pretty good. So like, mo- like most of the characters are very, are like, like have at least some sort of depth to them. Except and for Haru. Except- Haru, no, even even Haru has a little bit of depth. But- I have not seen a single fan of Haru, and I'm like, I'm kind of not well, surprised at it. What can I? I you've seen one now. I'm a Haru fan. That's me. <laughs> so you like forehead the character? <laughs> yes, exactly. That forehead. Oh, let's go. I'm more of that, a forehead body anything these days. <laughs> true. Yeah, so true. I'm more of an on person, if I'm being honest. That's not surprising at all. I mean, I I don't I like I, I mean if if I, like I don't understand the people who like Futaba. Like I don't hate Futaba, but like, why would you date your sister? Yeah, it's like it's weird. I mean, it's like the it's the borderline of like 
it's weird, but not weird enough to where like I'm I'm going to like go, what the fuck are you talking about every time someone says it? Yeah. But uh I think one thing that Persona 5 excels at it's it's story because it's I know it's not a high bar for most JRPGs, but like its story is I think one of the best J- stories I've ever experienced. Uh, second to uh, not probably sec not third to Horizon Zero Dawn, which we'll talk about later, and uh, The Last of Us. But uh, another thing that Persona Five excels at is its soundtrack. I think we could all, we could oh. both agree on that. Every every even if you haven't played the game, you've heard the soundtrack, and like, it's just. Like if you if you've been on the internet in 2017, you cannot go a second without hearing the opening, the opening song "Life Will Change" or "Rivers" or "River in the Desert." Or last well, I surprise. Mean, that's also last surprise, which yeah. you're never going to escape that. I think my personal favorites are beginning, which plays when you fight God. Yeah. Spoilers. Oh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's um. Well, One on of the, the things... notes of the music, I will say another thing Persona 5 excels in is aesthetic. That's yes. true. Even, like, going through the menu, you can see that so much charm when you're, like, switching menus. Yeah, the other Persona games didn't really, like... I Persona 4 had, like, an anime aesthetic. Persona 3 had, had a really good aesthetic, but it wasn't, like... It wasn't as ever-present as it was in Persona 5. And I, I have a lot of problems with Persona 3. But I'm I'm not going to get into them yet. Uh, but it one of the things that I do think it sort of originated was the real aesthetic outside of just SMT, because like the Shin Megami Tensei aesthetic is something that's like sort of you when you look at the art style of like any Shin Megami Tensei game, you know it's Shin Megami Tensei. Um, although the Persona series is a lot more anime than most of the ones. That yeah. I've seen. Well, I don't know. I haven't played any Shimigami Tensei games yet. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. I I do. I've enjoyed one so far. It's a bit dated. You have to play it with a guide because like you do you do not know where to go and it doesn't tell you. I mean, I have the PlayStation Classic and it has the per- first Persona game. And that's I played I nine. It. Don't play it, dude. I honestly, uh, people are pissed at me for this. I say go with the PSP version mm. and. And or because one emulation, like just it's just better, like save yep. states, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing, the the one reason I'm using emulation is I got nine hours into the like the um, uh, PS Classic version until I realized it didn't have the Snow Queen quest, and then I was like, I don't want to have to keep playing on that version when I feel like the PSP version's better. So I ended up just like cheating is very easy with it. And mm-hmm. so you just cheat until you're in, at a certain spot and then just like you're done. Yep. So I mean, that's how I view it anyways. So I guess that does it for Persona 5. Yeah. Great game overall. How about we move on? Yeah. Go, go how about ahead. we move on to Metroid Samus Returns next? Oh boy, you're going to hate me for this. I think you go first. You go first. Man, I was not expecting for them to pull what they did at the beginning of the 6th gen. Two brand new Metroid games revealed. Metroid Prime 4, which is still yet to get anything beyond a teaser. And Metroid Samus Returns, done by a Mercury Steam 
and people known for the Castlevania Lords of Shadow games, which, you know, fairly divides from the Castlevania fan base, but kind of means nothing. I mean, if you're... Who has yet to play those games. I and mean... it was one of the games I was looking forward to the most, was in 2017, alongside Sonic Mania, and another game that we'll be mentioning later. Got it for my 18th birthday, alongside Sonic Mania, Sonic Forces, as well, my, my Switch, alongside Game Crash transferring back into my collection, alongside Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh, and, well, Samus Returns proved to be a pretty good, good remake in its own right. Oh, it definitely and is. Adding a bit more combat flair, and with the melee counter, to, you know, provide a bit more or defense against much more aggressive of creatures. Though I will say... It really does feel kind of not as graceful as it could be, especially since Dread introduced the ability to do it while on, on the move. Ooh. There was also the Aeon abilities, these which are all pretty good, although the Scan Pulse was very, very OP early on for exploration. And I ended up using the Lightning Armor a lot, purely because it saves on health, and trust me, even on the lowest difficulty, Samus returns, and will make sure that your reflexes are fine-tuned. And especially once Gamma Metroids start coming into the equation. And in terms of, of the bosses, the variety's not as strong on as AM2R, but at least with the new ones we got, but the Diggernaut was a nice test of skill, even if it could have, you know, been shortened a bit. It, the Queen Metroid was a nice, nice integration of several of powers, including the Space Jump, Spider Ball, and Grapple Beam. And holy shit, the final fight against Proteus Ridley was pretty hype. That and was a nice hype. way to bridge. Yeah, it was a nice way to bridge, bridge both the Metroid Prime side of the franchise and mainline Metroid together. After controversy about Sakamoto supposedly not considering the Prime Games canon. But alert, it was a mistranslation. He does consider them canon, but more or less just a side project. You know, a Gaiden game. Like, you know, Mega Man Network Transmission is to the Mega Man Down Network series. Mm -hmm. My biggest gripe with Samus Returns, other than the fact that it's a 3DS title in 2017 when the Switch was already in full swing, and thus the game could not sell as well as it could, is really just, you know... I'm not really as big a fan of the Metroid 2... Who... Kind of set up as I am with some other games, things especially since boss variety takes a massive backseat. You really are just fighting Metroids over and over most of the time, and the gamma Metroids that can go between rooms are an absolute pain in the ass. Especially if you don't know that as you line up your charged ice beam shots just right, the energy pellets they drop can amplify it and deal a lot of damage, possibly even skipping those extra trips. Also, not a fan of certain features being locked behind Amiibo. I mean, you need the Smash Samus Amiibo for the Missile Reserve Tank and the Art Gallery, the Zero Suit Samus Amiibo for the Sound Test and Energy Reserve Tank, the Samus Returns Samus Amiibo for the Aeon Reserve Tank and the Metroid 2 Art Gallery, and the Metroid Amiibo to not only instantly track Metroids, but once you be in the game, unlock Fusion difficulty, where you get to play the game on an even harder version of Hard Mode, with the Fusion Suit, where they finally fixed the puke-inducing color scheme of the various suit, and, you know, it looks much better though, though the Gravity Fusion Suit 
it's still peak aesthetic. Other than that, I would say it was a good, good comeback after Federation Force, but Dread just outclasses it in every way possible. Samus Returns feels like the blueprints for Mercury Steam's own take on Metroid, rather than, you know, the best they could have done. I don't want to put too much attention on Dread because it's a because you know it's much more updated than Samus Returns, but Samus Returns I do think is a good 2D Sam 2D Metroid game, but uh, I have some problems with it. <laughs> like I know this is gonna sound pretentious as all hell, but I felt like it was a bit too long for a 2D Metroid game. If you understand what I'm saying, like the core appeal of 2d metroid is speedrunning and samus of course super metroid is going to be the peak of metroid speedrunning obviously but with samus i don't Tr know zero mission could give it a run for its money that is true zero mission is pretty fun to speedrun but uh i felt like samus returns felt a bit longer and that just doesn't make me play as much as others and I forgot to mention this when I said I was going to keep away from Dread. I'm also going to try to keep away from AM2R, the fan game. Because uh, if you haven't played AM2R... possible considering that since it is a Metroid 2 remake that exists, comparisons are going to be inevitable. Especially since they do share similarities. One of them being a brutal difficulty. Although I will say this, that one point where you have to, you know, kill like 8 or 10 Metroids in a massive area... That shit drags. It does. But, uh... Another problem I have with Samus Returns is the console it's on. I don't hate the 3DS at all. 3DS is one of my all-time favorites. But, uh, I hate how it's a 2017 Metroid game that has to utilize the touchscreen of all things. And this is my biggest gripe with the game, by the way. I hate how they don't stack beams. Instead, you have to switch between regular beam grapple grapple beam and ice beam and then you have to click a separate button to get to missiles and then you have to use the touch screen again to switch to super missiles it's very well, annoying here's the thing. you know a lot of metroid fans sometimes may not be fans of the ice beam because it takes longer to kill enemies when and you have to go for the whole process of freezing them um and i know for a fact that plenty are appreciative of the fact that's a separate toggle especially since in some scenarios, particularly against Metroids, it's much more effective than whatever else you could get with the beams. As for Grapple, though, it should have just been something that only activates when you lock onto something using the free aim, which is one of the best features they added. And with the wave beam, it makes, makes parts of the game a lot less stressful. Yeah, that's true. But I think the another problem I have with Metro 2 is I'm not that big on its area, and this also goes to the to the original Metro 2. I am not huge on how open ended it is. Like it is impressive for a Game Boy game, but for a 3DS game, we had far larger areas and 2D and with 2D platformers and stuff like that. Uh, but I can't excuse it. Because I know it's a faithful remake to Metroid 2, so it doesn't bother me that much, as long as they clean up the controls and make sure it's appealing. And for the most part, it is appealing, but there are some areas that remind me of the PSP, sadly enough. 
the frame rate is sort of inconsistent. Here I am sounding like Exo Paradigm Gamer. <laughs> and uh, they do clean up the controls, but I have a problem with the free aim. I hate how you have... And this goes for Dread as well when we get to it. I hate how you have to stay stationary and not just like move up and down like you can in most other 2D Metroid games. But, I think uh, it would have been better if we had a dual stick set up so that the right stick could have easily been and used for that. I know I know we have I know the 3DS has dual uh stick because uh it was support it was supported for Kingdom Hearts 3D and MGS 3D. But uh nope, we only have to use it for two those two games even though we could have used it in Metroid well, I mean, problem there is we're going to have to play on an old 3DS and use the second stick that's basically just a prop or you're getting a, on a new 3DS where the second stick just a stubby little piece of plastic. Hey, hey, I like that new two, I like my new new 3DS XL because I could play Xenoblade Chronicles on that. Anyway, I think that's all I have to say on Metroid Samus Returns. It's a B tier at best, and it's not bad. I just prefer other 2D Metroid games like Zero Mission or Fusion. Anyway, I guess it's my turn then. So we did Persona, Samus. You know what? You mentioned it, Protector. Let's talk about Sonic Mania. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Exactly. Okay. We're finally talking about Sonic. Everyone, well, People are probably going to watch this for because that's what how YouTube works. Yeah, I I really liked Sonic Mania. I have yet to finish it because I'm like super super bad at two B two D platformers. But like, it's just it's so everything about it is just so um, I wouldn't say perfect, but it's very aesthetically pleasing. Like the uh, sprite work, the level design, all of it, the music. It's just it's all just pleasing to the eyes and ears, and it just makes for an experience that's like. This is Sonic. This is well, more like this is 2D Sonic at its best, in my opinion. Uh, I don't. I yeah. I I don't. So, Sonic Mania, great game, obviously, definitely contender for game of the year in my eyes. But I don't know. I feel like I know this is gonna sound biased since I basically grew up with this 2D Sonic game. But I felt like I got a bit more variety with Rush Adventure, which makes that my favorite 2D Sonic game. But Sonic Mania, great game overall. It definitely, I know people, most Sonic fans are like, it doesn't replicate the 2D formula, like, to a T, like, you know, if it's speed-based physics. I'm like, even the 2D Sonic game, even the original Genesis trilogy, they were inconsistent because it's either you had a speed cap, you either fo- it's either you focus on platforming, focus on speed, or you're mixing the both with, mixing the both. And I felt like Sonic Mania was kind of like Sonic 3 and Knuckles, where it mixes both platforming and speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My biggest gripe with Sonic Mania at the end of the day is ultimately what the meta era ultimately resulted in. Mania's main gimmick, besides the fact that it's a perfect recreation of something like Sonic via Knuckles, is that it relies heavily on nostalgia. Unlike Generations, however, it's almost exclusively catered towards its fans like Some Call Me Johnny and not necessarily those who who are huge fans of games that came out after 1994 
by all means, there's certainly the odd reference here and there, but it really does feel like it was meant for classic fans above all else, not helped by a certain other game not really doing so hot. There's also the fact that Mania, when it does bring out original stages like Studiopolis, Press Garden, Mirage Saloon, Titanic Monarch, those are when it excels and when T Lopes gets to really shine as a composer. That is true. Like, Press Garden is just a great stage. It, probably my favorite stage in that game and one of my favorite soundtrack, uh, one of my favorite stage songs in all of Sonic. Uh, another. Uh, since we're since we're still talking about Mania, how about the Encore DLC? What did y'all think of that? You know, I never honestly, it. The, the gimmick it did it present was neat and all, but other than that, it just felt like I was going through the game again. Basically, glorified reskins of levels. The only thing of note about Encore mode, besides the a gimmick of having each character represent a life would be the, the special stages that are leagues more difficult than what we got in the base game. But even then, the reward is ultimately still the same. You know, you just get, you know, Super Sonic, Super Tails, Super Knuckles, Super Mighty, and Super Ray. It is nice to play as Mighty and Ray with if certain things catered to them specifically. But I'm perfectly content playing as either of them in a normal mode. I think we could all agree Ray is the most broken character in Sonic Mania. <laughs> like, well, that's what happens when you try to get the cape feather into a Sonic game. Like, like go on YouTube after this and look up like a Ray. Uh, like any, take any stage and look up a speedrun when they're playing specifically as Ray. It would take them like li- less than thirty seconds just to beat the level. It is crazy. <laughs> But uh, overall, Sonic Mania, it excels when it's not being, you know, the other classic games. And when it's being original, it's some of the best uh, level design I've seen in Sonic Sonic history. Yeah, my my final thoughts on it. um, I'm someone who was not a huge fan of the, like, original trilogy. Like, I, I just couldn't get into it, really. And so when Sonic Mania, I I started my real Sonic stuff with, like, I played the three original games on, like, a uh, plug-and-play console. Oh, uh... It it wasn't terrible, but the games just didn't really hit that spot for me. Mm -hmm. And and then when I got into Mania and then Forces, um, it was something that, like, I was, like, with Mania, I, I was just, I wasn't in love, but I just was, like, this is really good. This is something that has a lot of potential. And especially with stages like Studiopolis Zone, I was just like, this is something I want to see more of. And so that's what eventually led me down a rabbit hole. And now Generations is like one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, God, Generation. Uh, <laughs> we, can't, we can't bring it up now. I know we can't bring it, it just, up, but like, just, oh, God. You literally brought up my favorite game of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah. I feel like we should just rip the band-aid off. Let's just talk about forces. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do I, it. I, I will I will be the contrarian, sort of. Um, I originally loved forces. Like, that same here. Because it was my first 3D Sonic. It was the first, like, I just had seen nothing like it before. 
I think we got, so, okay, I know this isn't part of the game, but, like, could we all agree that when we set, when Sonic fans saw that E3 trailer from 2017, we were all hype? I was not a Sonic fan then, but, oh. you know. I, well, I remember, I, I was very hyped when I saw that E3 trailer. I was like, oh, God, this looks so cool. Oh, God, it's got the things I've been wanting from Sonic for a good while now, and then we get to release, and it's like, what the hell went wrong? I mean, I think people's it's either you love it, not love it, but like you like it, or you think it's one of the worst things Sonic has ever produced. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I, my opinion of it has gone down over time. I yeah. loved it, and I tried to play it again, and I, I got to one of those classic Sonic stages, and I was just like, how did I put up with this? Jesus Christ! I remember I, I streamed it with. Me, I, I went to General and streamed it, and Protector was there with me, and uh, I enjoyed myself. I I still stand by. I think Sonic Forces is good. Like not not the best Sonic, not not one of the best. Not like how do I put it? It's not as good as Generations, Colors, the Adventure Games, or even Lost World for that matter. But I can still pick it up and enjoy it. In fact. I'm going back to my Switch version, which is not a bad version, by the way. It just runs at a lower frame rate and lower resolution on handheld. And uh, going back to S-Rank Episode Shadow. Because I'm going to be honest, S-Ranking Episode Shadow is actually really hard. Well, that's partially because you don't even get the score multiplier that's available in the main campaign if you do daily missions. Like, like what is this, a mobile game? Like, no joke, S-Ranking Episode Shadow can be as hard as S-Ranking Unleashed as someone who has S-Ranked all of Unleashed. I need my life back. <laughs> You're not getting it back. I know I'm not getting so, it back. <laughs> anyways. The biggest issues with forces ultimately boil down to this. One, the level design. More specifically, for Modern Sonic and and the avatar most of the time it just feels like whenever it's 3d it's more or less just a straight line especially in certain levels where all you have to do is just hold boost to win and watch as all enemies crumble before you borderline effortlessly and when it goes 2d that's probably about the only time where the level design gets interesting in fact i'd have to say when it comes to the level design and forces that isn't classic sonic it can be summed up as such it's colors but worse. Yeah, that... And on that note, I'm also just not a big fan of the visuals. I mean, Green Hill coming back is already bad enough as his, but there's just something about the game that doesn't really look all that appealing, and it doesn't do the Hedgehog engine to justice. That is then true. there's the soundtrack, which I'm gonna be honest, I have mixed feelings on. On the one hand, play of that the songs are still solid in their own right, but on the other hand, Amayo Otani suddenly gained a strained obsession with a particular a kind of synthesized instrumentation, which is baffling after his work on Lost World and Runners. And, of course, there's classic Sonic's music, which, God no, just go listen to the remix as Lil Boulder did instead. And for the story, I mean, we already... I know what sucks. We got Jay's reviews to tell us how the story is. 
I love the story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah. You know, it just really feels like they have no idea what tone they're going for. Not unlike Lost World, actually. You know, one second we're having a homage to saving Private Ryan and where Infinite Murders is a bunch of people leaving the Avatar uh, alive out of a sense of cruel mercy. And next scene, it's something like, it's been generations since I've seen you. You know, that's pretty much the general gist of it. But what I really want to talk about is the biggest disappointment of all, besides not witnessing Eggman's conquering thing in full, is Infinite. You know, when he was first seen, you know, he made a, a decent first impression, managing to overwhelm Sonic, make packing a badass design, a badass voice, cursed of Liam O'Brien and his theme song which hands down is the best song in the game and legitimately one of the best vocal themes in the franchise. That so is where true. did he go on? Well, first off, that vocal theme is only used once in a cutscene and Forces doesn't even have a sound test to let you listen to it, which is a damn shame as they could have used that for the final infinite fight and that would have been, been pretty badass for what's essentially a Metal Sonic rematch. And second off, his victory against Sonic in the beginning may as well be a fluke because he's shown to be ultimately kind of pathetic once, you know, we actually get Sonic busted out, which speaks volumes of how incompetent everyone else is. It's because they really can't get shit done without Sonic. Anyways, anyways Infinite's creativity with the Phantom Ruby is also very bare bones, so we don't even get to see the full extent of its power. And the biggest thing that really brings him down his origins and how he even became infinite in the first place. I'm not Basically. weak. I'm not weak. <laughs> that. But he tries to, you know, beat up Shadow. Shadow the Shadow's just like you're a fucking baby. <laughs> which I don't get. They're gonna try tackling the ultimate life form. The last thing you want to do is alert him to your presence. So he beats Infinite up. Upsets, he's pathetic, don't show your face around here again, and then Infinite does the meme. And that's it. Like, apparently there's also the fact that Shadow may have killed the Jackal Squad, but... Does the game really care? At least the comics are good. <laughs> if yeah, you If you read the comics, but uh, overall it's well, still I mean, Sonic. They were on social media, but even then, it does little to fix what's actually in the game. Infinite is the biggest example of wasted potential in Sonic Forces. Would have been a cool villain, but as is... My biggest problem is... Unlike, if... Yeah, unlike Zavok, Infinite actually decided to stay dead. Though I'm surprised it took him like four years to get into Sonic Forces speed battle. Wait, it took four years? Yep. Jesus. I mean, I haven't played Sonic Speed Battle in like three years, so I don't know anymore. I'm still upset that they got rid of Sonic Runners. <laughs> Aren't we all? Because Sonic Runners is actually good, and the soundtrack is a bop. Yeah, but we're not talking about games in 2015 now, are we? We are. But uh, overall, my biggest problem with Forces is the gameplay. The actual meat and potatoes of, you know, a game. <laughs> Now, Sonic, he controls fine. He's the best out of... No, not, no, not Sonic. Avatar. The Avatar is the best part. 
at least with Avatar, at least with the Avatar, I can see creativity in those stages, especially in the two D sections and the, the the vocal songs and the in the they may be cheesy, but I like them. My favorite one is probably Capital City. Uh, what other? Oh yeah, or enemies. Personally, I'm more of a Moonlight Battlefield kind of guy, oh, even though it sounds like it came from the opening of a Sailor Moon anime. <laughs> hey, my father might be watching this, and he loves Sailor Moon. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think the soundtrack. Anyways, the best song that isn't forced, the best song that isn't influenced vocal theme, is the Rhythm and Balance remix in Episode Shadow. Which, if this is a sign that we're gonna get more playable characters in the mainline games in the future, then. So be it. In fact, Episode Shadow was just the best part about Forces, which is, you know, kind of damning considering it's free DLC that doesn't really add much to the plot and is only like three stages long, all of them reusing assets from the main game. Shadow's only difference compared to Sonic is the ability to launch a stream of homie attacks across a certain stream of, of, of bad necks, but that's about it. I mean, that's just the main problem with the mainline Sonic games at this point. The reuse of assets. It started since literally Adventure 1. <laughs> well, I mean, you could excuse Adventure 1 of reusing assets since that was the first Dreamcast game. And it got better with Adventure 2 when they literally, like, made, like, entirely new levels. And, uh... But it's but with heroes onward, it they just felt like it felt like they just reused the level and just mixed it up a bit. But uh, the soundtrack for Forces, I know you're gonna hate me for this. I think it's better than the adventure games. Uh, what else is there? Classic Sonic and Sonic Forces makes me want to die. I can say that. That's my least favorite part of forces and i think oh yeah let's also bring up the fact that forces just casually doesn't give a shit about continuity because classic sonic is actually that sonic from another dimension i mean you, you can blame the head of so not the head of sonic team not, no not him he's he's i, I like Aaron weber but uh the producer i think is who it was takashi azuka yeah talk wait takashi azuka still on sonic team right or with sega it's one of the one of them from Japan. I sorry, I know that that sounds weird, but I'm just gonna say one of the employers said that there's now two separate kinds of Sonic games: the one that has just animals and the one that has humans. <laughs> like, like should, should we ignore that? Like generations was a thing, and they had games from like with animals and games with humans in them. <laughs> Sonic Colors with alongside Sonic Unleashed. <laughs> it's weird. But, like, I don't... From what I heard, the Encyclopedia doesn't explain anything, which is sad. But, uh... Well, I'm gonna be getting that next month, so we'll see. Yeah, overall, Sonic Forces, it's good. Just not as good as the most... Uh, not not, not on, on the lower end of the 3D Sonic games, in my opinion. The most damning thing about it is that that was the best they had to show for after four years since Lost World and... It actually took four years to make. That's the damning yeah. part. It took four years to make that game. Apparently, the bulk of it was just spent on making the Hedgehog Engine 2 and... Ugh. 
Just be glad that Frontiers actually looks pretty good. <laughs> I'll be glad once I start seeing enough gameplay to make a judgment call whether or not it's going to be worth my time. I mean, we're not going to see Sonic moving, but from like the shots they showed us in screen panning, it actually looks pretty beautiful. Okay, so that does. I just it. want to beat up gods as a blue hedgehog again. I mean, if you beat up God, you're basically doing Sonic's job at that point, since that's its only job now. Just beat up God. <laughs> so I mean, anyways, how about we move on to something a little more open world than a note of frontiers, specifically the game that practically sold the Switch back in March of 2017, The Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Oh boy. That one was a massive game-changer, like, after a few 3D Zeldas that, despite having their own gimmicks, followed a, a core formula that's been around since, like, at least A Link to the Past, Breath of the Wild decided to change things up and basically be like, okay, so what if we tackle Zelda 1's concept, but without the archaic bullshit coming from the limitations of the NES? And what we get is a pretty big open world where Link has to oh, try and, you know, get himself well prepared for the inevitable fight against Calamity Ganon, which, can I say, doesn't sound like the name of a main villain, it sounds like a robber from the Wild West. Did you get that reference? Well, heart your comment or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Breath of the Wild, so, I, so, hmm, how do I put it? Son of a bitch. Breath of the Wild is a great game overall, but I don't know how I should judge it as a Zelda game because it's the least like a Zelda game I've ever played. Well, honestly... Like, I understand that the tech demo for... Several years of... Yeah, after several years of, of franchises having done some drastically different things, I really... I'm not as hung up about, you know, whether or not it's a Zelda... A game to its core because there's one thing I'll criticize Nintendo for, especially during the Wii U and 3DS days, is a very bad tendency of playing it safe and just using the same formula over and over with a slightly different flavor. Yeah, that's like, true. Like for example, the Twilight Princess's biggest difference compared to Ocarina of Time, beyond visuals, was that Link could turn into a wolf. Wolf. And it was the first game to use motion controls. Well, so motion controls with... beyond that. But, but at the end of the day, Twilight Princess really just feels like Ocarina of Time 2, which was intentional, but that's not the subject. And when they did decide to get experimental with the Skyward Sword, it kind of just split things down the middle, so... I do commend Nintendo for just going all in on, on revisiting the idea behind Zelda 1 and actually making it good. But, you know? Yeah. It's just that, uh, how do I put it? Breath of the Wild has shown me our game industry where we have to brag about how big our games are and they have to have tons of gigabytes of storage just so that we can get that game of the year award it started with skyrim and breath of the wild pushed it even further when it got when it won yeah. Yeah, well i mean i'd rather play breath of the wild at least unlike skyrim and a bunch of other open world games 
it's not some super gritty looking realistic title. It's actually got a bit of its own stylish flair, you know, basically being a continuation of Skyward Swords art style, which blended the cell shading of Wind Waker with, you know, the more detailed but not completely realistic like, art style of Twilight Princess, which I think still looks great and will help to allow the game to age well. Certainly also helps, helps that it does still you know, keep maybe its fair share of Zelda traditions and, and does bring back a fair number uh, of things from past games. I mean, hell, you know, that oh, the Gorons, the Zoras, the Rito clan, and, and the Gerudo all make a callback, and, you know, the events of past Zelda games do actually matter, uh, and Ocarina of Time does get a couple of direct references, as, as the, the King of the Zoras does mention that, that part of the reason why he was cool with Mifa's as crush on Link was because this kind of thing did happen before with Princess Ruto and Ocarina of Time Link. And of course, Earth's Orbosa does specifically bring up the fact that Demise was originally supposed to be the reincarnation of a Gerudo man that would only pop up once every hundred years. And of course, was being Ganondorf. Or it's pretty neat. I mean, it's cool. I love the races. I, I love the races. I love the races in Breath of the Wild. I think my favorite overall is the Zoro, then the Rito. I, I, I'm not, I can't believe I'm going to say this, even though I love the Rito. Mifa is one of the weaker characters, in my opinion. Uh, Mifa is a Zora. The Rito had the likes of, let's see, what was his name? Rivali, a.k.a. Sean Chiplock, a.k.a. the game's resident asshole. I hate him. <laughs> I love him. People no, love because... Pe- People love I mean, him. He's basically it... what happened if you brought Falco from Star Fox and put him up against Link, who's a genuine mute, unlike Fox, who can fire back just about as well as Falco does. Though we do learn from the lore that the jackass side is ultimately a means of covering up Rivali trying to live up to the expectations placed on him by everyone else. And I mean, you know, he's a damn good archer. Uh, definitely worth boasting about his skills and the you know, special ability you get for freeing him by beating Windblight Ganon is honestly the most useful in the game. And you'll always be happy when you hear the five magic words, Rivali's scale is now ready. Rivali's ability is useful. Actually, I think all of them are useful in some sort of way. Yeah, but Rivali's scale is honestly the one I deem the most useful because it's, it's the most instrumental to the one thing you're doing in Breath of the Wild, the most exploration. And when you're not exactly fond of draining stamina climbing up a mountainside, but what I mean, else should you do? Let Rivali take you up higher. I mean, what are you going to do with that stamina? We're not hauling a Walmart up a mountain. <laughs> But uh, Breath of the Wild is a great game overall. I I, I understand all the like, hype it gets, but it's mm, I don't get why it's now considered. It's it's kind of like Ocarina of Time. I don't know why it's considered the best game of all time now. All of a sudden, 
But like, uh, well, I mean, I would consider it like the game of 2017, but you know, I wouldn't quite consider it, you know, the peak of gaming. There is no peak of gaming. I mean, anyone who says so is just flat out lying, or trying to drum up propaganda for their preferred title. Yeah. And besides, you know, what really could have elevated Breath of the Wild to best game of all time status is if it had the combat of Devil May Cry 5. That is true. We need, uh, but it's not 2019, we're going to have to wait on that, sadly. But yeah, the biggest, biggest issue I have with Breath of the Wild is that I do feel like the new stuff it brings isn't fleshed out as much as it could have been. And the biggest problem is, is the thing that could have done just that, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, it's a bit of a weird one. Like, spoilers, it ends up getting its own alternate continuity thanks to the what the game ultimately devolves into, because Age of Calamity isn't quite the whole leading up to the event that would be seen in flashbacks, as well as explaining and all the shit that happened. And on that note, Link getting amnesia really was just an excuse to have a more natural way to exposit things to the player, but it's not really a big deal, it's just, you know, something you notice after a while. So on that note, I do like the new design for Link. The blue phone he, he has on, on his brand new outfit actually... It goes pretty damn well, even if it's not the iconic green tunic we all know and love. And I do appreciate that he's got some brand new skills of his own, own namely the runes. While we've still got bombs, bombs there's also stasis, which allows you to freeze something in place and then build up potential energy to unleash it as kinetic energy and, say, do a rock launch like it's Sonic 06. Then, of course, there's that Magnesis, which allows you to move around metal objects. And finally, a Cryonis, which allows you to make ice pillars from water. Stasis, out of all of them, is my preferred one, namely because the Plus version allows you to freeze enemies. And it can even work on Lynels, allowing you to build up some extra damage. And it's pretty satisfying to just see it all inhabiting them at once once the Stasis runs out. Quite the edge in combat. Yeah, that is true. Uh, Sue, do you have something to say on Breath of the Wild, or did you play it? Yeah, uh, I did play it. Uh, I I played a decent bit of it, and I I really liked it. It's something that I really need to get back into, but it's just everything that I really have thought uh, were was already set. Like I love uh, the runes. I love all of the options you have, um, and yeah, that's basically it. Okay. The biggest issue some have with Breath of the Wild is the fact that weapons have durability, but I really don't give a shit. I mean, for one, because of the power scaling, you're inherently going to find weapons that you'll just deem more useful to your current situation. And second of all, considering that the Master Sword technically never leaves your inventory, I do see why they basically give it its own durability to allow you to be encouraged to use other weapons. I mean, let's face it, 
if the weapons didn't really have durability and could be upgraded, I would literally use nothing but the broadswords. Yeah. But after being forced to experiment, I did gain an appreciation in for spears, which the charge attack is pretty solid in its own right. But with great swords, I found that their biggest strength wasn't in their basic attacks, but rather their spin attack. Like, because as you hold the attack button, you basically turn Link into a Beyblade, and if you can position him just right, it shreds enemy health. And considering that you can actually go to a tower in order to find a fixed, fixed royal claymore on top of it, it, which will respawn every blood moon, let's just say you've got a bit of a leg up. Yeah. I know people are mixed on the durability. It's either you like it, you don't mind it, or you don't like it. I'm... Uh, I think it's fine. I think it gives it a bit more personality compared to other open world games. But if you don't have the Master Sword, and most people aren't going to get the Master Sword because A, they need like 14 hearts, and B, they're going to need... F- they need more hearts than usual. And... You're going to have to go through the Lost Woods, which is basically a maze that most people don't get to most of the time. Until they learn that you have to use a torch and you have to look at the flares that follow in the direction. Then you have to follow that direction until the new flares come out. Anyway, it gets annoying when you need to get new weapons, is what I'm saying. Eh, I honestly don't really care. The only time this ever really became an issue was when I found a major test of strength and was ultimately forced to start using both kinds of bombs to get anything done. It was all satisfying once I managed to reach the end of that and get some brand new weapons. On the other hand, it was pretty terrifying. It could have resulted in a dead game unless I died, but, you know, there's always a backup. I should mention that only really worked on normal mode, because the DLC exclusive master mode would have had the Guardian and scout regenerating and yeah that would more or less either drag it out forever or just make it outright impossible on that note i do appreciate that master sword gave the game some extra challenge in case people thought it was too easy after all normal mode makes it pretty viable to just go straight again and and maybe with nothing more than what you can scrounge up in hyvel castle in master mode it really does kind of emphasize you might want to take care of a few divine beasts or all of them before you decide to go running in head first. And on a note of the DLC, I love that one of the DLC quests rewards you with a motorcycle. I haven't gotten to the motorcycle yet. <laughs> well, I thought... it's no Cavalier from DMC5, but it's still uh, pretty damn fun. It also helps that you can refill its fuel with damn near anything, including apples. I swear, people oh, seem to think that Breath of the Wild Link has a bit of a fondness for apples. And on that note, love that and there's also an entire uh, cooking mechanic like, involved. Although, personally, I just end up making rice balls also in the orbit of curry more often than not. If I have trouble with a boss or something like I did with Thunderblade Ganon, who's the most bullshit out of all the Ganons... I just take a bunch of bananas and make attack up meals because you know that's going to be helpful. But if you are, I have a route. If there's a route you, I recommend you take if you want to 
play the game, go to Zoro, go to the Zora, then you go to the Rito, then you go to the Death Mountain, and if you have problems going to the Death Mountain, just eat a, just stock up on a lot of food and just eat your way up there. And go well, I mean there's also uh, someone near a stable who will sell you potions that will make you immune to being set on fire there. There's also a side That's... quest that gives that if you collect some, a certain amount of lizards they'll give you the uh they'll give you a piece of the armor. Yeah, I personally just start with going after the Divine Beast that's around the Rito village. Something I did by accident on my first playthrough when I just had no idea what I was doing. Something I did on Master Mode because I really wanted Rivali's scale above all else. Yeah, I can see that. So uh, I think we can all agree that Breath of the Wild is one of the best... Not, one of the best game, not, one of the best, not only one of the best games of 2017, but uh, one of the best Zelda games, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so I guess that does it for most of the well-known games. So I guess. Well, I mean, there's Crash Bandicoot and Sane Trilogy. I guess we'll talk about Crash then. I oh, just recent. I'll I'll go. I just recently picked it up, and I've I've really loved it. It's it's lots of fun. I never played the originals. I just really liked the um. Uh, I I just I just really like the gameplay and all that fun stuff. It's just it's just great. That's all. I think the insane trilogy was admittedly one of the most type things I had to look forward to when it it got announced for Switch in 2018. It even got a launch day and fully completed Crash One and Two on that that same day because the Crash hype was just that strong, you know. After seeing the orange marsupial basically dead for several years, which compared to Spyro's, Spyro being milked for Skylanders is kind of a blessing, it really was nice to see him back, back in the mainstream attention, in what better way than with the originals that started all. Well, Crash 1, out of all the games in the trilogy, definitely got the most benefits. While I will say I kind of prefer the, the visuals of the PS1 original more, it there's no question that Crash One and on Insane is better than Crash One on PS One. For one thing, you can get away with killing yourself without sacrificing the ability to get a gem. Oh wait, you As can do that? No crash. Yeah, in the original Crash One on PS One, dying at all after the first checkpoint basically meant you're not getting a gem at all. Just forget about it. In Crash One and Insane, you can die as many times as you want. As long as it's a clear gem, because for the colored gems, to make them stand out, I guess, they brought back that bullshit from the PS1 version. It's also, but yeah, moving on from that, it's nice that we also got some um, extra details here and there, like namely, Tana actually putting up a fight before she gets captured, and it's pretty cool to hear Lex Lane in his cortex give a more intimidating performance, when, since Twins Danny, his cortex was more known for, him, for a comedic role, which, granted, in Twins Danny, it was amazing, but I can understand why some wouldn't be too fond of it. On that note, I do also love the amount of attention to detail they put into the various animations. This for Crash, you know, his various deaths, idol animations, and the same applies to Coco oh, as well, who, you know, after you beat Papu Papu, and be played as in both, you know, in Crash 1, and once you reach the second 
and hub of Crash 2, oh, she's there as well. It's explained more or less in-game by her messing around with the time twist in Crash 3, but, you know, oh, that we can save that for later. The one thing I've noticed about Crash 1 and Insane, thing that's worse than the original above all else, is the bridge levels, you know, like the high road and the road to nowhere. I didn't find them that Jesus, hard. The precision they're asking for is damning, and it's a good thing neither of them are colored gem levels, because, oh boy, that would be a massive pain in the ass. And with the high road, you have to revisit it, because some of the crates are locked behind one of the colored gems. I didn't find the bridge levels to be that hard, actually. I thought they were, I thought they were fine. Like just, just match your timing with your jumps, and you get through it. Also, you could just use that rope cheat that you can do, where you could just walk on the ropes. <laughs> yeah, but even that can be a pain because the, the shit boxes, son, are more pill shaped rather than, and box shaped. But one thing I do love about the Insane trilogy is that they actually decided to bring back a rather popular. Uh, unused level known as Stormy Ascent as oh, that, that's, uh, Stormy Ascent. Oh, you know, God. That was a pretty... That was actually a pretty cool addition. And they even made a brand new bonus room um, just for that. Honestly, it's pretty brutal, but when you get the hang of it, it's one of the most satisfying moments. I mean, I fully completed Crash 1 Insane on both... on two save files. It was... And it's always satisfying to reach the end of Stormy Ascent, basically having gave the toughest level in the game a massive fuck you. Of course, when I say 100%, I only mean, you know, gain all the gems, which is what's required to reach the true ending, and where Crash and Tonner escape without sending Cortex off his blimp. Um, you know, I don't actually mean the relics, which I don't know why they added them in, into Crash 1 because a Crash Dash isn't a fiend, and the platforming is more often than not a hey, tad more stop and go, which, yeah. The, the thing is, is that with Crash 1, and I played, and I got some of the, and I got some of the, I, I don't mean to brag, but I got Platinum Relic on Road to Nowhere. <laughs> but, uh, the one thing with Crash 1, especially Crash 1, is it's not meant to be rushed. Absolutely not. Like I said, it's just more or less stop and go. You have to take your time with it. Because trying to rush it will make you realize that the game is absolutely not meant for speedrunning, which for the time trials is kind of bullshit. Yeah. You know, at least with Crash 2, they gave you the Crash Dash, but even then, some levels can still be a pain in the ass. So on that note, we're going to move on to Crash 2, which... It was a, pretty much a godsend going back to, you know, a recreation of one of my favorite games in the series. And most certainly, Crash 2 on Insane is pretty solid, though some would say the PS1 original is, is ultimately superior. I don't see uh, it. For a few reasons. I don't see it. Uh, well, I mean, it does kind of go beyond visuals. I don't remember the specifics, but there might be like, the odd thing in Ensign that they actively made worse, which you know, gets even more prominent in Crash 3, but you know. Anyways, it's pretty cool. Oh, but I want to go back to Crash 2 now with Lex Lane as Cortex. Lex, 
I don't really have much to add here, although I should mention that, especially in the case of Crash 2, I feel like the new visuals and art style don't really go all too well. Like, the various hubs in Crash 2 are a lot brighter than before compared to the PS1 original, which was quite a bit darker, presumably because of Cortex's, his, you know, lack of resources at that point. You know, it does say in the opening that, you know, they no longer have any friends on the surface, but that's pretty much, much it. Yet they it's, have villains. I just, I just feel like the PS1 visuals also have, in a way, sort of held up better. The problem with Insane Trilogy's visuals as a whole that we now have Crash 4 to look at, which did a better job embracing the cartoonier side of Crash. With Insane, it feels more like they're trying to make it more realistic, which in some cases looks great, and other times... Well... Not as much. Well, I mean... Actually, sometimes the lighting doesn't do go well with Crash's fur, and in the odd occasion, his eyeballs may be completely black, which, you know, happy nightmares, kids. Yeah, I think Crash 2 is, well, better than Crash 1 is, uh, uh, it's, it's a great game, obviously, but, uh, I know this is gonna be sound like a... Crash 2, as a game, its biggest issue is really just the backtracking nets and force if you're going for full completion, which makes levels like Cold Hard Crash, Digging It, and pissing it away pretty infamous old hard crash especially because of the requirements meant for getting the box gen you know uh, don't remind me route, and then going back through that i know you also gotta pick up the gen i'm at the end of the death route and kill yourself then go back into the whole box it's collecting fiend and then go for the regular path trying to survive until you reach a checkpoint it's Bullshit. And if you miss one of the crates, you're gonna die. <laughs> Internally. Well, yeah. Anyways. Crash 3. Crash 3. Crash 3. Oh god, Crash 3. Okay. I'm gonna be honest. Crash 3 is supposed to be a lot of people's favorite Crash game. It's my favorite Crash and... game. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can see it in areas, but when going for a full completion, which included the bonus gem from Coco, which you only get if you get gold relics on every level, I won't lie, my opinion of of it kind of soured. So the re so but basically the relics like, basically ruin your opinion on Crash 3. It's not just... As that I also just feel like the odd vehicle just doesn't work as well as they could, and despite the increased draw distance, these jet ski levels are probably the worst in the game. I mean, on the basis that it controls like shit. I mean, and if if oh. you're aware of Crash Free, you're also aware that this means that Hot Coco is a massive pain in the ass, which isn't helped by the fact that for the relic, you actually need to try. You see, in the American oh. version of Crash 3 on PS1, there was a glitch in the system that if you went either Hot Coco or Agapus Rex, you know, the two many bonus levels, you could actually get the Platinum Relic for them as the 
but the relic data was actually tied to the level you entered them from, which you could get quite the easy platinum relic, and by extension, an easy gold relic for the bonus gem from Coco. Other than that, you know... But I with mean... hot Coco, oh, in Insane, you know I actually have to try. You've got a shitty jet ski with the wonky hip and detection on occasion, not helped by the fact that you have to go through certain and, and hordes of bombs to try and get uh, time crates, and overall, it's it's not fun. There used to be a way to be able to cheese things said time trial, you know, by trying to trigger the nitro crates at the start without dying, but might have been patched out, and yeah. And of course, it just felt like the old relics weren't been all that great to get on occasion, and sometimes necessitating the crash dash, which is absolutely necessary for on and foot levels where you're going for the platinum relic. I mean, it really just makes me feel like time trials are better off only mandatory when you just need to do the bare minimum um to get the, the full completion mark, which is something I think Wrath of Cortex does better. And it also doesn't help that I'm saying trilogy, namely in the Switch version. I also had to get a gold relic for future tense, which granted. Right into the devs for bringing in a brand new level that tested all of I mean, Crash Free's abilities. But future on the tense. other hand, future tense why is, one of the is the gold relic mandatory? I mean, Future Tense is one of the best levels. Not only one of the best... is not only a level that's new, but it's also one of the best Crash levels, in my opinion. But yeah, that relic is kind of a bitch. <laughs> to the point where you have to, like, uh, Death Tornado spin aside most enemies and skip most like Ferris wheel platforms just to get the Platinum Relic. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, really? and we all and everyone knows that the worst part of Crash Three, it a uh, Crash Three Insane is the jet ski controls. We all know that, but Crash yeah. Three. But I just feel that overall, I don't really jive with Crash 3 as much as I can with Crash 1 or Crash 2. So it's the weakest in Maybe your Maybe it is because of the added gimmicks and the addition of both relics, which isn't an issue <laughs> of itself, but... I mean... I'm not a fan of the fact that it is a bonus gem tied behind getting all the gold relics. I mean, I like... The, the motorcycle and uh, the tiger to some extent. I but with well, I actually don't mind those, and the underwater levels are pretty solid too. I mean, what makes Crash Three my favorite is that it's a game I can just go back to, do a run of, no one hundred percent attach, and enjoy myself. It's probably one of my favorite platformers I, of all time. <laughs> the problem with me, however, is that with games in the series that are explicitly following the classic crash formula i feel like full completion is a more integral part of the experience since and on that note it really does has become a case of whether or not the game can live up to that and well once we do get around to talking about games of 2020 it's going to be a big reason why i don't hold crash 4 in as high a regard as everyone else but that's just me uh, Sue, you got anything to say on Crash? 
Uh, I feel like all of it, all I've said, like just it just really fun. Uh, I really enjoy it, and yeah, let's let's that. It's not much more than that, I'd say. Games are made to be one thing, fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that wrong? Okay, I think that's most of the heady editors, so let's move on to an indie darling of mine. <laughs> so I know you both probably haven't played this game, but Cuphead. I have yet to get around to doing so. It is the Dark Souls because... of. It is the Dark Souls of two D games. <laughs> Die. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't say that much. I don't say that much. <laughs> like, like I don't agree that Crash is the Dark Souls of platformers. I think Cuphead is the Dark Souls of two D games because it is literally a boss rush. <laughs> so Cuphead. Well, I mean, it also has its own actual levels. You know, from what I've seen of Cuphead, biggest draw is its animation. The aesthetic. It's basically what happened if she decided. And to pay one hell of a tribute to Rebel Hood's cartoons like Popeye, and even go the extra mile to make it sound like it's from the 30s, because without a color, I mean, hell, even the audio is kind of muffled, which I gotta appreciate the extra mile they went, and just to make it stand out. Especially. Like out of all the 2017 indie games, it's caught my attention the most, kind of purely because of the, the art style. And it's pretty admirable just how far the devs went to try to make sure it was finished, finished and released. Though I'm not exactly happy that they had to mortgage their homes. That's depressing. But hey, it's, it, it's doing well. It did well, actually. <laughs> Very well. Well, I mean, it's it, it took so long to get confirmation of the DLC. I mean, hell, the Cuphead DLC that was planned so long ago only just got revealed at this year's Game Awards. That is true. But uh, I liked how far they went, especially with the characters, because if you don't know, every character is hand-drawn by frame. Like, I have... Well, I mean, I have... why else would it be so expressive and so fucking smooth? That's true. Uh, but overall... The gameplay is oh, it's so satisfying. So it's not that much, you know. You just you just run, but if you're not fighting bosses and you're just playing through the stages, it's basically a run and gun. And there are different types of guns. You could get guns that are basically have a shotgun effect. You have guns that are basically shotguns, guns that target bullets that target people, bullets that that go forward and do more damage when they're heading backwards. You got guns that bounce off each other. There are but tons of, tons of guns. You even got a charge shot. The charge shot is no. The most OP thing is to take the lobber and the roundabout, and then you just switch between them. Then you're doing like max damage each time. It is satisfying. The boss. It's is... also pretty neat that since the game's story is kind of a callback back to the kinds of morals they were teaching cartoons back in those days, as the whole conflict is started. Because Cuphead got a little too greedy with his gambling and ultimately put himself and Mugman in debt with of the devil himself, which is the entire reason why you're beating up various people, because you gotta get their contracts. Thanks, because they've got some dues to pay to the devil, and he's gonna die the rain. 
I mean, if I mean gambling, that makes sense because especially in the time period, gambling was like at a peak. <laughs> if you know your history lessons. All I know from that time period is that people were stupid, which, quite frankly, I can still apply today. Well, we, 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 we're stupid. We, human beings are just stupid in general. <laughs> Anyways, Cuphead. So, I already said the gameplay, but uh, the bosses. Oh, God. <clears throat> so, the reason why I call it Dark Souls is because it's like Dark... It, not that it's, it's not like Dark Souls in the gameplay-wise... But you have to study the boss's patterns to, like, beat them, and they're really challenging. You get three health points. Well, if you have the heart stamp accessory, you can have four or five. But the point is, you can have as many hearts as you can, but that doesn't matter because the bosses are going to wreck you at some point. To the point where, in one of the areas, there's a pool of truth, and it tells you how many times you died overall. And... And on that note, whenever you die to a boss, they've always got a bit of a bond one-liner, and it even shows you how far you got into it, which, if you were just right at the end before you died, that makes things very personal. Overall, Cuphead is a really, really polished indie game, and personally one of my favorite games of all time. So I guess that does it for Cuphead. Hey, Sue. What's up? It's Pokemon time. <laughs> Pokemon. I really, I, I played a decent bit of... Um, Ultra Sun. Ultra Sun, yeah. And I, I really liked it. Like, a lot of it was just, I really wanted to get into um, the uh, Pokemon sort of thing again. Just, like, chill out, play a game that's, like, really just vibey i guess and just in i don't know I just, it just really hit the spot for me so all I... of a sudden moon i feel just <clears throat> the wrong steps in a lot of areas because one of the things that made sun and moon stand out was the story and just how vile of a villain Luzamine was i was actually gonna uh, speak about that so yeah, like they made her supposed to be a more of a well-intentioned extremist instead of a psychotic MILF, and I'm just like, no. Like, that defeats the point of the conflict surrounding in her kids, Lily and Gladion. Like, well, oh, in recent years prior to Sun and Moon, and apparently... The, her treatment of her own kids got bad enough to the point where Gladion more or less just walked out but on Luzumine and eventually ended up joining Team Skull. And, you know, Lily would eventually be motivated to, you know, rescue Nebby and become a part of the players' lives once they move to Alola. I mean... Yeah, the story, I, I really enjoy Sun and Moon's story. Like, I know it's going to be favoritism, but it's not as good as Black and White story. <laughs> but I really I do mean, enjoy the character. against Gen 5, it's always going to lose to Gen 5. Because Gen 5 is the, <clears throat> the perfect po Pokemon game. <laughs> but uh, what I liked about Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon is that it felt like old Pokemon again with new innovations. And... 
overall, I'm so like I'm glad that most pe- people are going back to Sun and Moon, be like, yeah, this was actually a great Pokemon game because I think Pokemon X and Y not not as much as X and Y, but a little bit of X and Y and Sword and Shield kind of tainted their views on Pokemon to the point where like out of the new gen Pokemon games, Sun Sun and Moon are considered the best ones out of that era, and I personally agree with that. My main problem with Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon is that it relies more on the content than its story because they redid the story for Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. And and I know, Sue, you haven't played Sun and Moon, the original, I think. No, I have not. The, 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 if you want a better story, play the original Sun and Moon. If you want more content, play gotcha. Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. That's all I'm going to say on that. It's basically a pick-your-poison deal. Gotcha, gotcha. I, mean, I like the idea that one of the mainline Pokemon games actually decided to make a Pokemon the antagonist. You know, the whole deal with Necrozma. But I really feel like... What did it accomplish in the grand scheme of things? This could have just been, you know, a proper sequel or a Pokemon Platinum instead of a glorified retelling of what happened in Alola. And to be honest, the extra content, in my opinion, just really isn't worth it. I mean, for one thing, most of it is locked behind either the late game or the post game. And even then, it's more or less just, you know, technically an anniversary title. We gotta milk the nostalgia, even if it was nice seeing in the likes of Cyrus, Getsis, and Giovanni again. And on that note, they finally gave Giovanni his own boss frame, and it sounds great, but, you know. And even the even the additions of brand new Pokemon mid-generation, they're just not enough to make me care. I mean, this generation has one of my all-time favorite Pokemon. <laughs> and I, I feel like, how do I put it? I love Black and White because of its new Pokemon and the variety we had. I and uh, I I've gone on in not only with to you to it's to Sue but uh to my personal friends who like Pokemon as well that I feel like Pokemon's kind of losing its own identity when it has to rely on so many old Pokemon that it loses track to its new Pokemon that I think should be the main appeal of each generation. If you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I get Absolutely. you. Absolutely, we all get tired of having to have Pikachu on our team in every game. Like. When there was like controversy over not having the national decks in Sword and Shield, I'm like, I honestly don't care, because if we're not getting the national decks, I'm completely fine that. I think we should give most of our attention to these new Pokemon. And Sword and Shield failed to do that, but you Sword know... and Shield did fail to do that. I feel like with Sun and Moon, it's like the better out of the new gen Pokemon games. Like X and Y, like it had its national decks, and you had to collect basically every Pokemon to complete the game. Man, can we just go back to black and white, man? Black and white was so fucking good. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it seems like they want to stick to 3D for mainline Pokemon. At least when black and white I'm got I'm going to be honest. I don't really think Game Freak was prepared to handle the transition to 3D. And once they moved to the Switch, it became apparent that all the issues those in the presentation on you know the 3DS games they made... They wouldn't fly in a console title, especially when it's being charged for like $60. And that's the biggest problem I have. It's like, mainline Pokemon just doesn't seem to care anymore or about 
doing the best they can. It's really just a game that's made out of committee because, well, Pokemon's the most profitable franchise on the planet. We gotta have a brand new game before we have any of the other merchandise, even though you think that Game Freak would really want Pokemon and to, you know, truly stand at the top in more than just profits. But of course, the Pokemon company calls all the shots, and that's really the biggest thing holding it back. I mean, at least with Black and White, when it got companion titles, at least it continued the story. To some extent. <laughs> that is true. Oh, and it even gave us, us a couple of brand new gym leaders that are fairly beloved in their own right, especially Foxy. Oh, yeah. On top of that, you know, in terms of the villain lineup, a lot of people seem to be a fan of... What was the name of this? Oh, yeah, Colress. A lot of people love him. What generation was that again? Colress was in Black and White too. Sorry, I keep on thinking of Black and White's N. <laughs> because... N is the best villain of all Pokemon with, like, actual ideology. I can't be... The thing is, with N, I can't even really consider him a villain. Anyways, you know, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, it really is just a case of, you want more content at the expense of the story? If so, there's something to look forward to, but overall, they really did, you know, peak with Sun and Moon in terms of Gen 7's content. And Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon just fe felt like this could have been put into DLC. a sister game like a Platinum or, you know, sequel games, which we were initially, which we initially thought were going to be the case, but nope, it's glorified alternate dimension and shit. I mean, it was on the 3DS, we could have gotten DLC. <laughs> Ugh, whatever. Anyway, I think that does it for Pokemon. So... Since we don't have that many games left to talk about, we have about four left. Let's... I think I'll go to a game that I highly recommend. If you So, y'all like Breath of the Wild, obviously. You like that sort of open-world game. Yeah. I recommend Horizon Zero Dawn. Well, on that note, I did get it for free when PlayStation did a little thing. Thing to, you know try and help make COVID less of a pain to deal with, and Horizon Zero Dawn was a game they allowed people to download for free during a certain time, and I have it, I just haven't gone around to it. So, I'll basically explain how I felt about this, you know, one of my fagots. <laughs> so, Horizon Zero Dawn is an open world game, and I know there's plenty of those, but what makes this one distinct? The story of the game is that hum that humanity has made this super advanced AI and the AI goes rogue like you know your typical AI story. But here's the thing, we don't make a rebellion like instantly after that. We progress back to the stone ages and we just live alongside robots now. Which makes it more interesting. The story of the game is that you're an outcast, you basically don't belong to any clan and and you have to rise yourself to the top to become part of the clan. But when you do, there's starting robot. The AI starts going rogue. The AI starts acting weird with like some corruption, and so it's your job to basically find out what the corruption is, and you have to stop it. The story is amazing. Like the main character Alloy is one of my favorites in gaming. Like, mm. 
what makes the game great is it's open world like you see that when it's mountains there are like huge villages that that they you see that not everyone's relying on technology they only use technology to help they only use technology if needed like uh the main gimmick of the game you can analyze your enemies and their walk patterns to see if you could get a better chance of attacking them not that many people use it but you and certain other people use it to help yourself in battle the world is probably one of the best worlds i've ever experienced in any game the gameplay is like breath of the wild but you don't lose your weapons instead you can upgrade them with certain materials that you can grab and you may not have a motorcycle but you can you but late but early on in the game you can upgrade your speed you upgrade your spear you could control any robot and you can just ride them across the overworld it's incredible oh god and unlike breath of wild and this is what breath of wild could have had it could have had a crafting system horizon zero dawn has a crafting system you can make your own arrows you can make your own bombs stuff like that it gives you it makes you feel like you can do anything that world gives you it's really hard to explain horizon zero dawn because oh god it's just gaming masterpiece <laughs> it's really something you gotta experience for yourself other than just listen to someone talk about it that what you're getting at yeah about yeah that so if you have a ps4 or ps5 i'm pretty sure i got the 60 fps patch well i don't matter but like just play horizon zero dawn especially since the sequel is coming out soon and you bet i'm gonna cry when i can't find a ps5 when the sequel comes out <laughs> Okay, so we got a few games left. Let's talk about Super Mario Odyssey. If y'all played that. I mean, I have, and well, getting this out the way now, it's rest on the Galaxy games because you can't play as Luigi. Sue, did you play, uh... Luigi is not playable in Super Mario Odyssey. Like, God, that is a massive sin. So, Sue, did you... But, you know... Yeah, I, I did play it. Uh, I really loved it. It was the first um, Mario, like, 3D Mario that I actually completed. Uh, I used to play, like, the... Uh, the I played a little bit of Galaxy as a kid, and I, play, and I played a little bit of... Um, actually, a decent bit of the uh, new Super Mario Bros. Um, and so it was It was really good. It, I, I just loved all the mechanics, how everything felt... It was just, it was just something that like really was a good pick me up during that time. So I have a weird history with Mario. I don't hate his games, but like even New Super Mario Bros. U was considered the worst one. I think it's good, just kind of bland visually, <laughs> because you know it's a new super game. But overall, In fact, on that note, I'll just get this out of the way. I think Odyssey is a good step in the right direction for the Mario franchise as a whole because, let's face it, for the entirety of the Wii U and 3DS days, you could tell Mario was playing it safe like nothing else. I mean, hell, you know, the most notable Mario game besides NSMB 2 on 3DS was Super Mario 3D Land, which is the first time they actually tried to make a more faithful translation of the 2D Mario gameplay into 3D, and, well... It's 
about as bland as you can get. Its biggest gimmick is that it's a 3D Mario game on the go, even though we already had its 2064 DS. But, you know, with Super Mario 3D World now a thing, it's just... What reason is there to go back to it? I mean... So... I mean, hell, you know, Mario in general just had a bad habit of playing it safe throughout the entirety of that generation, and it feels like Super Mario Odyssey was a nice shake-up from that. Going back to how the setup for 64 and Sunshine, it was definitely the right call, but what I think really helps Odyssey is, one, the capture mechanic, like where Cappy can allow Mario to possess several things. Frogs, Uggs, Goombas, Koopa Troopas, Bullet Bills, Bells, Yoshi, Bowser, Bowser statues. I'm sure that if Princess Peach could be played as, you could possess her, and oh boy, several people are jotting down our notes on how to make this as loot as possible. Anyways, it does allow Odyssey to have a much more unique gameplay identity and to circumvent the lack of power-ups that it would otherwise have. And on that note, Cappy's just pretty solid overall, especially when you can figure out how to use him as a means to enhance your platforming. But on, on another note, one thing I absolutely love about Odyssey is there's a lot more dedication to original concepts and level variety. I mean, the first first level you get after, you know, visiting Cappy's homeworld is basically I just most more of the Mesozoic with the addition of being able to play as a T-Rex. And the next one after that is basically a Day of the Dead themed desert, which actually also becomes sort of an ice level once you make enough story progress. And it can go bad from there. We even have Mario's own equivalent to Soliana in the form of New Dark City, right, with the grand return of Pauline. And of course, Jump Up Superstar, sung by Kate Higgins, aka the colors to Lost World voice for Tails. I think so. Mario Odyssey, it's a good game. I can say that. I I I can agree with that. It's a good game. But how do I put it? There are two types of Mario that Nintendo has said there are. There are the linear Mario and there's sandbox. I I'm more of the galaxy person. And that's not linear or sandbox, it's a mix of both. And I prefer a mix of both. Now, I like Sunshine, obviously. But Odyssey, I'll get to its problems, but 64 is dated in my opinion. And you could disagree with me all you want, but that's just personally how I think. Odyssey has vibrant locations. I will say that, I will agree with you on that. Vibrant locations beautiful landscapes it's great but what kills it for me is that we have two kingdoms that are basically filler for boss battles cloud kingdom and ruin kingdom and i think you can agree with me on that because they're oh, basically absolutely. ruined kingdom would have been amazing but instead all we get is a dragon right out of dark souls mario's and dark souls boys <laughs> But uh, my biggest problem with the game is, well, another problem is the post-game, it doesn't feel that earned because, it, because 
oh, remember how the 2009-2013 was pandering to, to uh, 2D Mario nostalgia? Well, guess what? We're now pandering to N64 nostalgia. Well, there's also the fact that the bonus content isn't on the other sides, but Moon just isn't all that great. They're all just the biggest issue with Odyssey above all else is that it kind of feels a bit bloated with the collectibles. Yes, I was about to get to that. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. There's The content is just reuse, and it's everywhere again, so you're just putting too many moods, which is already a problem because it is bloated. Because this is what we, what most of us call the Odyssey problem, where uh, you put too much, you emphasize it for to for the to make it a game that you can play on the go, and the developers know this because that's how it was designed. The problem is, is that there's so many moves in just a small area, is that you feel like you're not accomplishing much much. I mean, look, one of the moons in New Donk City, you literally have to ground pound a specific spot on top of the buildings. And that's literally all, all you really need to do. And a sort of a nitpick, maybe. But I feel like Odyssey, some of Odyssey's challenges just were not right, perfectly optimized based for playing on, on handheld mode. Because in some... Ch it's some time trial challenges where you gotta, you know, shake think the Joy-Cons up and down to make Mario climb a pole faster. It feels like it's mandatory at points, and obviously when you're shaking the entire screen as well, it's not exactly all that fun. The game really is best played with separated Joy-Cons, and I don't know. It feels like, then, why is this as motion mash being something I mean, that's only optimized for like one control method oh it doesn't even translate all that well to a pro controller uh, which you know some people would prefer because you know joy cons are pretty small and of course that's the infamous drift problem but that's another problem in its entirety i mean the pro controller also has drift but you just it's you can't fix it damn yeah i know Fuck Nintendo, am I right? <laughs> Please don't demonetize us. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Odyssey, it's good. It's just that uh, I prefer the Galaxy games over most linear Mario or sandbox Mario. Uh, Sue, do you have anything to add on the Odyssey? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I feel like everything that needed to be said was said. Okay, so, okay, let's... So, I take it you guys haven't played Banjo-Kazooie. No. Nope. Well, I was gonna transition. If you guys said yes, I was gonna say ukulele, but whatever. We're talking about ukulele now. <laughs> so, as most you two probably know, I love Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> I have no nostalgia attached to me. I wasn't born when it was... I wasn't born. I wasn't even conceived when it was released. But I love it. I think it's 3D plot. I think it's collectathon perfection. And I was excited for ukulele. Ukulele disappointed me. <laughs> ukulele has great music and great controls, 
What kills it for me is its level design. Ukulele does a system where you grab pages. Now that's not a problem. The, and it's not like Super Mario Odyssey where there's so many that like you instantly go to the next world to the fact where you don't have to do any story progression. In Ukulele, they're all equally paced out. But you have to put pages in the book to get more content. And I'm not, and it's basically like the boot out system of 64 and Sunshine. Like most people aren't a fan of. I'm, I tolerate it, but I don't like it in here because you're basically excluding extra content just for you to boot out of the world to put go back into the world. <clears throat> and the extra that sounds dumb. That sounds what? Sounds dumb. It is dumb. Some of the abilities aren't just aren't worth it. Like, oh no, you got new attacks. Ooh, woo, I could just use the same spin attack I had since the beginning. The only abilities I basically need are flight and breathing underwater, and that's basically it. Oh, and rolling. You need rolling as well for some of the races. Oh yeah, the races are dumb. <laughs> because you could either not be fast enough or you can't or they won't give you butterflies and you won't have enough stamina to finish the races. Some moments the game just like banks on the frame rate, tanks the frame rate and it gets really annoying, especially since the game's not graphically intense. And I mean it's just down to bad optimization. I mean I played this game on PC with as high as I can get the settings at, and there were still tanks in the frame rate, and I don't have a terrible video card. <laughs> but overall, ukulele, it's fine. I, 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 it's disappointing as a banjo kazooie fan. But I think most people have said the pieces either you like it or you don't like, or you think it's okay. Although I haven't played. Uh, the sequel, so, but I heard that's basically like Donkey Kong Country, but I haven't played Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we get to 2018 when I eventually play it. So, Sue. Yes, I'm, I'm here. Final game, and I'm pretty sure you played this. Alright. Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Oh, I haven't played it yet, I'm oh still on the God. first one! You're like an no. anime fan, and it's like the most anime game I've ever played. <laughs> yeah, uh, I need to play it, but I just haven't gotten around to I it. I know Protector hates me for all those Xenoblade 2 memes I put in me when I first came in. <laughs> what? Like, yeah. I uh, think I do. Have you played Xenoblade 2, Anyways. Protector? Nope, but I've watched Chaka Conway's LP of it up to Oh, the thank finale. God he's done with it. It's been like two years. <laughs> My God, it's been two years? Nearly. I'm old. <laughs> so, I'm a massive Xenoblade dork. Well, I mean, from what I can see of Xenoblade, from what I've seen of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, it's definitely a, a pretty meaty game and probably one to switch his best I'd be... RPG. So, of course, it's fairly divisive, purely because of the art style change. 
and some aspects of it being a bit more typically anime compared uh, to Xenoblade Chronicles 1. I mean, of course, the infamous Mifa walking into the boys' room and, you know, snuggling up to Rex in her sleep, and then, you know, the whole Sundere act. You know, thing was just dumb, but otherwise, the story and character seemed to be pretty on point. Rex wasn't all that bad of an antagonist. Well, not an antagonist, a protagonist, rather. Uh, words, they fail me. Anyways, <laughs> Rex is the main hero was pretty alright. He's definitely far from offensive, and he had plenty of good moments. I just feel like the English dub uh, didn't do him the best. Well, I mean, that's just... Justice, which, granted, that's an issue with the English dub in general. That's just a yeah, Xenoblade staple, bro. That's just I a mean, Xenoblade it, staple. You just have to get used to that terrible English. And I just... finish. Anyways... Xenoblade 2's English dub suffers because apparently the actors weren't really given any real context to the scenes they had to do lines for and couldn't even do a redo if they felt like they they weren't doing their best. It's something brought up by the voice actress for Pyra and Mithra, Sky Bennett. But, you know, I'm still gonna... If I ever get the game, I'm still gonna put it in English purely because, well... Very few games these days will actually dedicate time into getting genuine and talent from the UK made in their big budget games. I mean, you know, every Titan has inhabitants that sport a different kind of accent you'd, you'd see over here, you know. Oh, like, Mordane is where the Scots let's live, if including a Morag herself, then... And we've got Gormat, where all the cat people are Welsh, and on that note, I can confirm, thanks to Doctor Who, that Nia's Welsh accent is absolutely genuine, and, and that's really part of the charm. Um, it just doesn't really feel like a lot of our RPGs, purely because they didn't resort to American voice talent into this time, which I is a nice step up, and the ways it ties into Xenoblade Chronicles 1 are pretty neat. So, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. I think we all know this. <laughs> but I won't talk yeah. about Torna today. I'll talk about it when we talk about games of 2018, because it, it got a separate release in 2018, so I count it as a game of 2018. And it basically is a another meaty Xenoblade game. But, uh, Xenoblade 2 has my favorite world of any game with the Cloud Sea and all the Titans. It's, oh god, it's such amazing. Like, each Titan has its own distinct feel to it that you don't get with... With with the original Xenoblade, it just felt like you were mo most of the interesting stuff came from Bionis and Makonis, in my opinion. But with... Xenoblade 2, each area has its own distinct theming. Like, oh, you got more Ordain, the Dying Titan. You got Goromot, the Thriving City. You got Lefteria, a bunch of happy people who distant from the world because of the, the, the Cloud Waterfall. Like, you understand what I mean. Like, each area is distinct to its, to its own. Where unlike the original Xenoblade, or to an extent Xenoblade X, it felt like the same old area, just different weather. <laughs> Uh, Fair enough. 
Xenoblade 2 has my favorite cast of characters with Rex, Nia, Tora, Poppy, Pyra, Mithra, Morag, Zeke, Daru, Bridget, Pandoria. Oh, such a great cast of characters. Oh, yeah, we can't forget about the Zekonator. He's practically the star of the show. I'm more of a Rex slash Pyra person. I mean, my four favorites are Rex, Pyra, Tora, and Poppy. With very close second to Mithra and Nia. But, uh, yeah, just a great cast. Especially the villains. The villains are really fleshed out in this game. Like, Jin having its own backstory, which I'll talk about in Torna. Malos, Malos being basically a different version of Pyra slash Mithra. You got Akos He's and basically Petra- a second Aegis. Well, he is a second Aegis. And then the third one is in Xenoblade Chronicles 1. We'll get to that when we talk about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. <laughs> but, uh... P- Akos and Petroka basically being these blades with, that were that their owners were brother and sister, so they basically considered themselves brother or sister. Freaking Mikdile, which I won't talk about because, you know, Torna exists. Damn, fuck you, Torna. <laughs> and, uh... I think that's it. Oh, and, uh, uh, what's his name? Amalthus, basically being this, like, holy god to his people, but actually he's just a mere mortal, and he can't, and he must picture himself as a god to basically justify his life. Ah, oh, such a great cast. It's, but that doesn't hold up if you have great combat, and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has my favorite combat of any RPG. Better than Persona 5, you're going to hate me, Sue. <laughs> Better than Xenoblade well, I mean, 1. I'm going to Xenoblade 2's combat, from what I've heard. That's not explained very well. Well, yeah, that's that's the biggest problem with Xenoblade 2, is that its tutorial kind of sucks. <laughs> but there are other games I could point to with bad tutorials that I still love. But I could excuse it, because, one, because the bad tutorial... Well, well, I can say this when we talk about Torna, but Torna actually fixes its bad tutorial by actually explaining this stuff. <laughs> Xenoblade, so Xenoblade 2 had, basically carries over Xenoblade 1 slash X's combat system, but it spices it up a bit. You only carry three arts, but those three arts are really useful. They've been beefed up a bit. And the main gimmick of Xenoblade 2 is its blade system, where you can carry three blades... And each one has a element unique to itself. Like, there are eight elements. Fire, water, ice, wind, earth, lightning, light, and dark. Each blade has its own element and its own weapon, except for the rare blades. But even the rare blades are really fleshed out. And common blades, they're useful. Like, like you don't need to use them. You could just have them in your party, and their skills can be beneficial to your, to your battles. But oh, and each character has its own strengths and weaknesses. Like Rex, he can be—he's great with with mega lances, and he's amazing with knuckle claws. But he sucks with great axes because they're because of his slow movement. Actually, Rex has the least amount of blade weapons that he's viable with because, and it's justified because he's a rookie 
blade you, uh, driver, so he's not used to most of these weapons. Whereas the other characters are really good with them. Like Nia, she's great with ether cannons, but she's not good with great axes. Zeke is just best out of all the weapons, except for shield hammers. And Morag is more of the defensive style, so she uses a def much of, she's good with a bunch of defensive uh, weapons. Each character has its their own way of battling that makes you want to prefer one and over the other. And then, of course, there's Tora and Poppy. Oh my god. With Poppy having three different forms, one of which is completely optional, with their own different playstyles, and she's, she's pretty customizable, allowing Tora to more easily fit into whatever role you need him to be, which is a pretty nice gimmick for those two him alone. The biggest issue with the blades is that many would point to is the gotcha system, which granted there is no pay to win bullshit, which, you know, congratulations on them for doing that. But I know that several people just don't like the idea of having to deal with constantly randomized bullshit just to get the blade they want. And, you know, the only way you're going to know you're going to get certain blades is if you looked into the game's coding to see what, what your save files decide to select as your pity blades. My pity blade for my recent playthrough was uh, the one with Finch, the worst blade in the game. <laughs> so I got some pretty bad luck then. But it's okay, I got Ursula before Gore before I went to Uriah, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> but overall, I can't do the if, if I made a review on Xenoblade 2, it's going to be really hard for me to write that script because I am very passionate about Xenoblade 2. So I guess that does it that for... That much we can tell. What? That much we can tell. Yep. So I guess that does it. So what were y'all's game of the year, and why do you think it is? I mean, Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Uh, t uh, Breath of the Wild is a second for me because, like, I know it, it's obvious. Persona Five is just I I really like it, and it got me into like it got me back into JRPGs, which is something I'm really thankful for. Then you should play Xenoblade Chronicles Two because that's my I game. Know, of I, the I, year. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you played Xenoblade 1 or X? I have played a bit of 1. I'm still Oh, you need to finish one. you need to finish one before you play 2. Yeah, yeah. Especially because 2 isn't is a is definitely a sequel. But it's like it's it's its own world, obviously. But there are subtle nods to it that you will only understand if you played the first game or know the story of the first game. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Xenoblade 2 is my favorite game of the year, closely followed up by Horizon Zero Dawn. So I guess that does it. Yeah. Yeah. I will see y'all next time then. All or, right. Or, see or back on the Discord server, yep. you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs>